Hello and welcome to TV Dinner, the podcast where we take three bites out of a show and tell you how it tastes. I'm your host, Kalena. I'm your other host, Sean. And this week we are watching Channel Zero. Yeah. Um... Uh, this show is the third in a row uh, season anthology that we've watched. Well, I mean, anthology series are just... I think that they're just not very common, so... They're they're not, but they seem to be particularly common in, in the horror genre, and I, I wonder if there's just something about horror that that draws people to the anthology format more so than any other show. I think the only other shows I can think of that have series anthology formats like this are true detective i think is an anthology that's another season-long anthology american horror story is a season-long anthology i'm I'm trying to think of non-horror ones oh because we've watched three in a row castle rock the exorcist and now channel zero all horrors and true detective is mystery so it's not it's not i guess completely devoid of possibly like spooky elements I would say in that case that uh, the reason that we don't see a lot of anthologies is just due to the nature of the medium. You don't want to have to cut loose like most of your actors between seasons. So is that is that what draws people who make horror to anthologies? Because I think by nature, horror tends to uh, get rid of characters. Um. That's a that's another valid theory. I think an equally valid theory is that in horror, an extremely valuable commodity is the unknown. Uh, so if you move into another season and a large amount of the pieces on the board are known quantities, uh, then it eliminates a lot of the uncertainty of horror. That's fair enough. It, it could just be that horror is more suited to to shorter format storytelling in general. I think so. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's interesting that I we haven't seen an anthology outside of the horror genre that we've watched on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't think Super Sentai counts as an anthology, but Ghost in the Shell is a series that we've watched that does. I wonder. I wonder if like Kamen Rider is an anthology. Because it's still called Common Rider, even though they do technically have different names. Yeah. I mean, if the entire cast changes and there's almost no crossover with the previous season or series, except for yeah. maybe a crossover, like in a movie or something. Right, no, I think that's a good example of a non-horror anthology. So superhero anthologies. Uh, I mean, that's specifically the, the Japanese one, though, because I don't think... Mm-hmm. I don't think they really anthology Power Rangers. They don't do it forever, but they do multiple seasons over here. Yeah. Uh, the more powerful, uh, I mean, not powerful, but the stronger of the two examples that I presented is Ghost in the Shell because uh, for the, the the different like seasons, the different technically series, uh, you've got Standalone Complex and then Standalone Complex Second Gig because the, the complex plot is a different gig that the major goes on with the with the division uh like in the first the first gig of course is the laughing man case and the second gig is a different case entirely 
Um, but as far as this show specifically, um, it's like American Horror Story. Each of the seasons has uh, sort of a subtitle. The subtitle? Yeah, so each season, even though it's all Channel Zero, is called something else. So, like, there is American Horror Story Roanoke and American Horror Story... The current one is Apocalypse. Yeah, Apocalypse. And I think Cult is one of them. Um, And so this is Channel Zero. The one we're watching is Season 1 is Candle Cove. Season 2 is The No End House. Season 3 is Search and Rescue. And Season 4, The Hidden Door, or Just Hidden Door... Um, by the time this episode comes out, we'll have just started airing. Huh. Uh, I'm weirded out kind of right now because Candle Cove sounds really familiar. Does it? Yeah, but I I can't place from where. Every anthology series we've watched until now, uh, this month, have all been around 10 episodes. Uh, this one only has six episodes per season. Ah, God. So they've gone on an even shorter format. (sighs) Now, short episodes I can appreciate, but really long episodes and really short seasons are frustrating for me. No, it's a TV hour. They all clock in around 45 minutes. I know, but we're going to watch half of a season, Kalina. Yeah, but we've done that before. I just think it's interesting. American Horror Story, I'm pretty sure, goes... To like 20 episodes. Yeah, they got a lot of money. <laughs> they do a lot. And I... It, uh, because I always end up dropping off around episode like seven. Whenever I start a season, I've never finished a season of American Horror Story. Well, then maybe this is the perfect season length for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so six episodes is pretty good, I think. Probably. Okay, so they're all named after books. So Candle Cove is a book. The series writer is generally credited to Nick Antosca. Uh, I'm thinking of a different Chris Straub. Who? Who? Yeah, he, he's a, a, a web comics guy. A web cartoonist. No, that's the same guy. What? That's the same guy. Uh, wait, hold on. So, so the guy who's who 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 plays on a D&D podcast I listened to wrote the book that this show is based off of that this season is based off of yeah this season of the show yes all right that's weird <laughs> do you find it really weird that this guy is a uh, a huge nerd in ways that aren't horror um you know me so no no there's there's plenty of crossover there that's just something I find interesting because I think even directors tend to stay kind of constant. Although, as we saw with The Exorcist, where it's changed director like every episode. Mm. So, so Candle Cove was an online story then? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, another interesting thing is... So I, I found it on Rotten Tomatoes, because like I said, I, I'm kind of dubious about sci-fi shows. This show is rated incredibly highly. In fact, its lowest rated season, Candle Cove, has hmm. an 84%. Ah, oh, I see. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Candle Cove. Candle Cove is a creepypasta online horror story written by web cartoonist and author Chris Straub in 2009. There we go. 
All right, so this... it's not it's not even like necessarily books that they're written by written that they're based on, but like creepypastas also. I'm just so wigged out because I've been thinking like, why is this sound so familiar for like a while now? <laughs> and now it's like, oh, whoops. <laughs> so I'm just really interested in it because, well, now you know, season one was basically written by a dude you already like. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So are you more excited for it than you were before? Uh, yeah, a little, of course. Just due to familiarity. <laughs> I'm definitely, my interest has gone beyond peaked. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing, um, to, to knowing more, to understanding more, to seeing any overlap. Uh, and I think it's kind of nice, although you you seemed kind of weirded out by the fact that we're going to be watching half a season in this podcast episode. I'm down for that because if I'm really enjoying it, it's only going to take like another episode's worth of time to watch the other half of the season. Mm-hmm. Of you know, course. It's not, like, it's, it's not like the killing where like, oh, if I like this, I have to go watch three more seasons of it. Yeah, no. The 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 At the same time, though, because I had to do this Google... I'm simultaneously a lot more trepidatious about watching this because I did see some little thumbnail pictures about Candle oh, Cove good. and this the visual design of Candle Cove looks like something that is going to scare me a lot. Then I am incredibly excited. Let's uh, go. Okay. Bon appetit. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Don't do that. back yeah that was a good show <laughs> that was a really good show by the way i'm surprised you liked it so much nothing uh, nothing freaked me out or gave me nightmares and there really? were no jump scares but stuff was scary and stuff was tense and <laughs> I, i'm into the mystery things definitely freaked you out i mean f- you know what i mean like stuff bothered me uh-huh. uh, but nothing freaked me out in a way that was like nothing permanently is, scared you this is serious you know <laughs> Everything everything I was able to put away in a box after the show was over. Good. <laughs> no, that might sound weird. Um, all right. Do, do we want to take this by episode or like by character? Well, first, I want to mention the creepypasta itself. Mm, right. Did you read it? No, but you did. I read it. It's like maybe two pages long. It's yeah. really short. It's in the format of a, um, like an internet forum. Yeah, it's just a short creepypasta by Chris Stroud, right? Yeah, um, and it's it's like, hey, does anyone remember this this old show, Campbell Cove? Mm-hmm. And it's basically just like it's basically the premise of the show without any of the characters or the plot. Right. So um, apparently, someone got into it enough that they were like, "Well, what if I just spun off of this?" <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think it was really interesting. Um, some of the lines in the show are lifted from the creepypasta, mm-hmm. and that's interesting to see. Um, I think I would recommend reading it before watching the show, actually. Mm, okay. I'll, I'll definitely read it before I watch any more episodes. Yeah. Well, and and the good thing is, after these three episodes, we're halfway through the season, so... Yeah. We can another... finish the rest before Halloween. It, sh- it sure does feel like 
you make us watch six episode seasons a lot, doesn't it? But you enjoy it too. I mean, I enjoy it. I do. <laughs> but yeah, so as far as the creepypasta itself, if you if you find the show the show's premise interesting and you want to watch it, I would con- I would consider reading the creepypasta first because mm. it's just like a little short, basically an intro to mm. the show. Okay, um, and yeah. Oh, I, d- I don't I don't want to make any like sweeping comments about like recommending it or anything, but I I really liked it and I generally don't like horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so is that a good sign or a bad sign? Because you a, liked it too. That's a good sign. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't. I was gonna say gory, but it was gory a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm. I don't mind certain kinds of gore though. Maybe it's a personal preference thing. No, that's fine. I think that's the part that, like, most people don't like in horror. Mm. When they don't like horror, it's, like, massive amounts of gore. Like, when we watch a lot of um, B-rated horror movies are are super reliant on a lot of gore and, like, no no plot. Yeah. And that's usually what you hate about it. Yeah. I mean, it it doesn't really serve the story, does it? It's a special effect. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Um, But there there was an amount, and I don't think it was poorly placed or... Mm-hmm. Or or not plot relevant. I think it was all reasonable. It, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty reasonably chosen. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, so do you just want to start episode at a time? Do you want to do like a recap of the whole thing? So, um, Channel Zero is a uh, first season. Candle Cove is about uh, the successful writer, a child psychologist, uh, Mike Painter, mm-hmm. uh, who. Um, he's recently had some psychological problems and some scarring. He keeps getting the like message that he has to come back home and his nightmares are asking him why he's scared of going home. Mm -hmm. So he's finally going home to investigate those murders that people are always coming by and annoyingly investigating. Right. Are you going to be more specific about that? About the murders? Oh, you just said the murders. Like people knows (laughs) know what that is. Yeah. Several children were murdered and their teeth were missing. Yeah, when he was when he was a kid, and including his twin brother. Yeah, his twin brother was the only one whose body was never found. Yeah. So he finally comes back. He's finally going to come and over. Uh, he's going to overturn all that dirt. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, he he's going to ask his friends about that that show that they all vaguely remember watching, Candle Cove, that gave them nightmares, right? So so he his friend is like, hey, come have a dinner party, uh, talk to my daughter because he's a child psychologist. Mm-hmm. And um, his, that guy's daughter mentions Candle Cove, yeah. and he comes out and he's like, "Remember Candle Cove? Why are they showing it again?" Right, because Candle Cove is extremely relevant to the plot. Because of course it is. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's if you read the creepy pasta. That's like the whole thing, right? Um, so <clears throat> I, I thought that it was pretty funny. <laughs> what do you mean that Gary was like? You're a child psychologist. Come give me parenting advice. <laughs> well, and then we were watching it and me and Sean were joking that he was going to be like, my son is weird because he likes David Bowie. And that's exactly what he said. Yeah. <laughs> Do the unspoken implication of being like, is my son gay if he likes David Bowie too much? <laughs> is that a problem? Like, no, no, that's not a problem. He was like, he's fine. <laughs> he's fine. Yeah, it was really obvious that Mike does not want to he's obviously not going to give them like his unsolicited like professional advice in this like casual setting right he's i mean and any not unsolicited but any any professional should feel weird about giving their friends casual advice yeah uh 
it even came up like in, in his like nightmare interview where it was like, don't make me do something unprofessional. Right. Right. <laughs> on TV. Um, so yeah, I guess we will kind of take this episode by episode. Um, the one thing that made me really weird is, so you mentioned he had psychological problems. Mm-hmm. So he had a, an explicit like stay in a hospital because he, there was a self harm pro- uh, problem. Mm-hmm. Not like a an ongoing problem. It was a one-time deal. Yeah, a single incident. Yeah, he wrote, um, what was it, Come Home Mike? Yeah. In his arm? It was Mike Come Home, but no. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter the difference. <laughs> um, and I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. I hate the, I hate the, this character is probably mentally ill, so they're not credible. You know what I mean? Because after that, after she's like, I know you were in the mental hospital, mm-hmm. everyone starts treating him like he's just like a liar all the time now. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like, like he can't be trusted anymore. Yeah, they, they constantly are suspecting him of some crazy stuff. Right. And it's not like he's acting not suspicious. Yeah. He, he is not doing much to look innocent. Mm-hmm. But it's just like a really annoying trope of like, this mm-hmm. character had some sort of mental illness, so now they're untrustworthy. I think it's an annoying trope because we as the audience have sort of an implicit trust in our protagonist. So when people don't trust them because of their mental health, and that's a, like a frustrating thing. It's like meant to yeah. be frustrating, well, so but that doesn't stop the trope from also being frustrating. Right. You're frustrated because you trust the protagonist, but the other characters don't. Yeah, trusting the protagonist, I mean, it's not always a sound decision, but it's always <laughs> something that... You, you, it's oftentimes something that you just sort of implicitly slip into when you're watching a show mm-hmm. because of the position that they're poised in. Um, so the, the reason why it comes up that he's not trusted is because like immediately after this, where it's like, Oh, your daughter mentioned candle cove. She goes missing and, and he had some missing time too. Right. And he's the one that finds her. So they're like, why did you do this? Like you yeah. obviously, yeah. Or the one that took her away and, and brought her back to be a hero or whatever. Even before he found her, they were like, you're missing time. What's wrong? Why did, why did, also, why did, are you sure that you didn't bring up Candle Cove to Katie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're like, like they're already like, really like being like sketchy to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it seems like, to me, it seemed like in my mind that they were like, you kidnapped our daughter and then you just happened to find her as in, oh, you brought her back because we were being suspicious of you. And they were, like, really on edge. Right. So, which is why I was surprised that Jessica was like, please come back and talk to my daughter. Right, right. It was weird. Um, yeah, some of the <coughs> characters don't really act. Uh, I'm used to going into the horror genre and everybody making poor decisions. Making poor decisions. Yeah, that's exactly it. They don't They don't all necessarily think through the things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um there, there are a lot of like stressed out adults. This premise, I mentioned it while we were watching, but it reminds me a lot of it where there's this sort of shared experience when they're kids mm-hmm. and then 30 later you come back because this thing's hungry again. It's going to feed on the kids again. Well, yeah. And so the assumption now is that since the killings happened. So when Mike was a kid, after his brother died, his mom sent him away from their hometown to live with some relatives and mm-hmm. so this is his first time being back um, since he was sent away the first time. And now it's starting up again. So obviously that's another like layer of suspicion on him. Right. Because it's like the killing stopped when he left. When you went away and now they're started again that you're back. Right. So that's they're like, obviously it's you, which again, 
I don't fault them for that. <laughs> yeah. And of course, from Mike's POV, it's like, oh, that evil power, essentially, it called me back. Right. Whatever it is. Um, so we do see, as as far as we know, oh, we do see um, the show mm-hmm. on screen. Yeah, it shows up on dead channels, but only the children seem to be able to properly watch it. Yeah, poss- possibly. possibly. No, but I'm saying like us as us as viewers. Yeah, we you do see the show. You see, they're all like it's like a weird puppet show. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they really pull into that sort of uncanny valley, and also the like unnatural, creepy puppets thing. Right. Nobody likes puppets. <laughs> Yeah, so they show up in nightmares a lot. Right. Um, it, it was a really... I think it is really interesting seeing it on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, like be- the life-size ones? <laughs> the Yeah, because again, it's supposed to be... The implication is that it's not a real show. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're seeing what, I guess, their memories of it were and what mm-hmm. the kids now are seeing. Yeah, and it's kind of like... Um, Kind of like it using Pennywise. This yeah. show is using the puppets and the pirate adventure but children's it, it, show. But it's also like vaguely hypnotic. Mm, so yeah. it's not just like a weird show that the kids can see. It's also like, yeah, hello kids, yeah. go murder your friends. <laughs> well, it's not like in the show that they're like... Yeah, they don't say it explicitly. Yeah, but th- the way that they talk and the music that plays, the like creepy Calliope music and the don't open that box. You might not be able to put what's inside it back. Oh, it's a jawbone and he's here to, he's going to take your hide. I mean, it is kind of like, apart from a few scenes, it does seem like a really fucked up, like 1940s kids yeah, show. Go into bravery cave. <laughs> right. You have to go inside. You have to go inside. <laughs> yeah. That's a line that really stuck with me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we see the show, and we're like, yeah, this is creepy. Um, and then what I didn't expect is when Mike is looking for Katie, the the daughter that went missing, he finds a guy in the in the skeleton dude costume. Yeah, he's he, he doesn't like look just like Jawbone, but he does look like a skeleton no, dude. Jawbone is, I guess that is him. Jawbone is a skeletal puppet dude. His other name is, or, uh. Or his real name. They call him, someone else called him the Skin Taker. Eddie called him the Skin Taker when he punished um, Gene. Gene. Yeah. I was thinking Jawbone maybe was a different character. Maybe it was the character with the monocle. Yeah. We, we have very briefly gotten these like little flashes yeah. of like horrible monsters and that might be behind the puppets. But anyway, yeah. This, the Skin Taker is the like creepy skeleton guy. Mm-hmm. And when he's out looking, he sees, like, a real-ass dude in a skin-taker costume. Yeah, and, like, when... Because he came out he stabs out there, him. Yeah, he came out there into the woods with a knife, and he tries to, like, reach over and see, like, if there's a dude in the costume and, like, pull the mask up. And then, like, when the dude reacts, he, like, swipes the knife out, and he, he stabs skin-taker, and skin-taker runs away like a real dude. Yeah, so I'm like, is this a real dude or nah? Yeah, there. I mean, maybe it's Mrs. Booth. It might be. So we learn in the second episode, my note for that is, what the fuck? Um, (laughs) So in the first episode, and throughout all the episodes, you see a tooth child. Yes, a child made out of teeth. A child made out of teeth. And that's how you mentioned all of the dead children, they were missing teeth. 
That's what the monster is made out of, is the dead people's teeth. Yeah, and uh, you said what the fuck in episode two, because you saw Mrs. Booth feed the tooth child some Some teeth. teeth. Yeah, and (laughs) Officer Amy found out earlier that some baby teeth were missing. There are people breaking into houses, but not taking any valuables, but they will take baby teeth. Right, like if some some parent stores their baby's teeth somewhere, they take that, but nothing valuable. And she's like, well, that's weird. Yeah, and they're an intelligent person. They'll take the whole box of keepsakes. So it's still weird, but it's not just the teeth. Right, so it's not... Suspicious. But yeah, it's possible that the person in the costume was Mrs. Booth, because it seems like... So as far as we know, only children are watching the show, uh-huh. but it seems like she is the one adult that can also see it. She's definitely, I mean, she feels like she could be a mastermind character. She could be a mastermind. She could be the one like kind of somehow orchestrating the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also possible that she is also under its influence. Presumably. Like she's, because she she's a school teacher, so mm-hmm. it's possible that it's it's a situation where it like, She's around kids so much that she has got some sort of childlike quality. Perhaps, but she did mention, I'm pretty sure it's her son, Jacob, died. Yeah, her son was one of the victims of the of it the first time around. Yeah, so either she was either she was made vulnerable by that, or some dark influence came to her in the shape of Jacob. It's hard to oh, say. Oh yeah. Um because Mike mentions that you have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Because so when Mike and Eddie were watching it as kids, Mike never got, you know. Um, Mike was less affected than Eddie because. Mike Mike wasn't affected because he wasn't bullied like Eddie was. There is the kid that Eddie killed mm-hmm. um, was like really, really strongly bullying, like yeah. bullying to the point of actually like. Yeah. Injuring. Yeah, we're talking broken fingers, we're talking sicking his dog, we're talking... Yeah, um, so, and that's implied, or not implied, Mike I think actually just says it. Mm-hmm. It made Eddie vulnerable, which made him, you know, made the show kind of right. penetrate him more, and that's why he was affected by it. And so it, yeah. I think your your point is right in that, like, maybe when her son died, Mrs. Booth Mm-hmm. became vulnerable to Candle Cove because she was, you know, really, really affected by it. it was, it's also stated that it was her only child, right. which is another thing. Like, maybe that's why it affected her and not... Yeah, and all the other, like... The sur- other parents. Yeah, and all the other survivors and stuff who, like, like the kids and stuff, like uh, Daphne and them, like, they would even have, like, nightmares and stuff about Candle Cove, and they would still have been affected. They weren't murder targets. They were, like, siblings and cousins of the murder victims. Mm-hmm. And, um... Uh, not to like, I'm not a child psychologist, but like children are sort of implicitly like powerless mm-hmm. and adventure stories like pirates yes. and stuff and fantasies are power fantasies for a good reason because they help children think and act upon sort of like the, their power and, and to insert themselves into a situation in which they are the sort of active proponent controller of life mm-hmm. um and that's why they need playtime they need to imagine things they need tv i'm not a child psychologist <laughs> you're not a child psychologist but i get your point in that like yeah. that's why it works so well the format yeah. is because kids want to feel powerful and when a child is like bullied uh fantasy uh 
a fiction is oftentimes a coping me- mechanism. Like it becomes more appealing if you're bullied or if you're struggling in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a bad thing, but uh, in this case, it is definitely used for the effect of horror. The, the line keeps coming up from Mike, too much TV. Yeah, kissed. and that's so, so there is a little bit of a like fear of technology thing in this show, mm-hmm. which small did, town. It was not like. I did not see any of that really in the in the creepypasta. Mm-hmm. So I don't know like why they felt like inserting the everyone is afraid of, you know, smartphones and TV and this and that. Well, but like Mike keeps saying, <laughs> don't let your kid watch so much TV. And he's being he's just vaguely referencing the fact that Cap- Candle Cove is like fucked up. Yeah. I- but it really plays off as like TV is bad. <laughs> yeah, you might have to worry about that. Uh, in the like original like dinner and stuff, there's like some, like these are like adults who are like, oh well, in my generation, you know, like yeah. they do, and they're in a small town. So yeah. I think that they have a natural like fear of technology, and I think that Mike is like, like it's too much TV is probably just something that he's heard so many goddamn times in his work. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like a really common like concern for parents. Right. Um, he, he doesn't mean it the way he says it. Yeah. Every time he says it, he doesn't sound like he really means it except in the whole, like, there is a dangerous TV show. Yeah. You know, but Um, so Katie goes missing and Mike carries Katie away before the tooth child shows up. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't leave. Uh, Katie tries to stab her brother with a hook. He does. Yeah. Katie he does, does leave. Uh, he does leave, but Katie stabs her brother Dane with a hook. Right. And so they both go into the hospital, Katie for uh, watching and yeah. Dane for recovering. She's the police uh, custody. Yeah. And so and so Jessica, um, Katie's mom. Calls so Mike back. Katie's parents are Jessica, um, Mike's old friend, mm-hmm. and Gary, who is the police sheriff. Yeah. Um, and so Jessica calls Mike because she's like, you're a child psychologist. I want you to talk to Katie. Like, I don't know why she would do this. Yeah. She, she puts, like, she waffles back and forth on Mike, but she like sort of trusts him or sort of doesn't because they used to be like really good friends and like not even that long ago. Mm-hmm. And like, she, she sort of, you can see that she's like, wants to like trust him and be friends with him, but also is like really like worried about him right because she again she's the one that brings up that he had the the stay in the mental hospital so she's like i don't know if i can trust you but i want to because we were really close she was definitely panicking at that point because her kid was missing yeah but Um, mike does come back and he finds something that looks like a candle cove drawing in the hospital Right. And so she's like, talk to Katie and see why she would do this. And the funny thing is, he doesn't do that at all. He just starts asking Katie about Candle Cove and is trying yeah. to like get information for his like investigation. Right. Um, it, so it, he, he shows the drawing to his mom right. and she's like, she immediately like starts connecting stuff in the drawing to like real landmarks around them. Yeah, because of the train tracks and the, the there's the gray concrete outline. Mm-hmm. It looks like it could be a cave. But it also looks like, oh, but it's by the train tracks, there's that concrete factory. Yeah. So they go there and they find what they think is Eddie's body, which yeah. was not found where all the other bodies were. Yeah. You um, mentioned a couple of times that uh, while we were watching that, like, you weren't, that it wasn't like 100% certain that it was Eddie's body. But right. didn't, like. All it, of the characters are very certain it's Eddie's body. Yeah, it was his size. And when they flash back to. 
when Eddie dies mm-hmm. with he's got a hook in a hook him in his chest and he, he's got that pose that I wasn't the didn't the corpse have like a I hook think it in had the and, same pose yeah and had the same pose I'm like 100% certain that it's Eddie but like I can I'm, suppose I can see there being a twist no I'm sure it is Eddie I just think it's weird that they would explicitly say like it's only like a quick throwaway line but they're like well we're gonna do some tests to determine whether or not this is mm-hmm. Eddie so I was like if they're throwing the doubt out there yeah. It's possible. I suppose so. I, that feels like it's just sort of like filler dialogue where it's like, we need to establish that these are professionals doing their job. Right. I don't know. Fair enough. <clears throat> um, so then at the end of the second episode, um, Mike confesses to his mom that he killed Eddie, but where they found his body is not where he buried him. Yeah. Which is a lot. Which is a lot. So she stabs him. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, she warns him first no, to get he, out. He was, like, he was, like, holding on to her and trying to force her to listen to him. Yeah. And so she, like, cut him to get herself free. Yeah, so we don't find out until next episode what more he had to say because uh, Gary picks him up because... Because he's the sheriff. And, and his mom calls him. But okay. uh, Gary does not take him. So this is another instance the... of a character acting in a way that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Gary is the fucking sheriff. So instead of taking him to jail, he takes him to this weird abandoned house that he has Mm. the key to and is like, I'm going to interrogate you here. Instead of at the jail where I can do my job, I can interrogate you and not get arrested. You know what I mean? You are the fucking sheriff. Yeah, well, he's conspiring with Tim and Daphne. He doesn't want them to be in the system because like potentially good cops, not that we know any besides Amy, Mm -hmm. might, you know, like call out the sheriff on his bullshit and he wants answers because all of them were close enough to mike and they, this is all like personal and twisted for them because yeah. they all knew victims and stuff and like they all actually like harbored their like yeah. secret suspicions so, that the so, painters were responsible yeah tim and daphne are other people who were related to victims mm-hmm. um and so they come with gary to the abandoned house to interrogate mike but again it's like Mike is like, why did you do this? And Gary says, I just want some answers before you go into the system. I'm like, you were the sheriff. You would be the one asking him the questions anyway. Yeah. I don't understand. But he <laughs> he wants to, like, scare him. He, he obviously They, they want to scare him like, into confessing. Yeah, he doesn't want to actually kill him. But he doesn't want him to, like, go into the system and have, like, his lawyer tell him his rights and him to be like oh I'm, i've got my story and i'm sticking to it. he yeah he he's very shady he's obviously very fueled by emotions Which, and he was trying to get something out of him unlawfully it, it's kind of fair because in the third ep- this is the third episode when they when they're interrogating him um when he gets out of the house and the new acting sheriff amy because gary is like kind of under arrest because mm-hmm. he did kidnap mike yeah um so amy asks mike about the confession and he immediately is like i didn't confess to anything and mike's mom is like i don't know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. so it is kind of fair that like he did shut up immediately as soon as cops got involved yeah but it was just a super weird way to go about it it was super weird in the in the scene you've got daphne who's like really unsure about this whole thing Mm -hmm. Uh, you've got tim who's like let's murder him and then you've got gary who's like in the middle who's like i'm just saying we don't murder him but let's definitely do this illegal thing (laughs) right we're definitely going to intimidate him and do something illegal but we're not going to kill him we will let him go to tell other people about this you've got that like perfect trio of aligned reactions well and so then at the end of the third episode they do this like weird which a lot of shows will do when something fucked up like this happens, they will kind of clean up the loose ends. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as the cops show up, T- 
Tim and Daphne run into the woods. Right. And they run away. And, um... So, uh, Tim, he is wandering out in the woods, and there's some creepy laughter and some movement around him. And right, and... You know what happens The The assumption next. is that he gets stabbed by children. Yeah, we'll get to the children in a second. Um... um meanwhile, um... Daphne goes to talk to Mrs. Booth, Mrs. Booth, who we already mentioned, who is everyone's like school teacher. Yeah. And she keeps showing up and giving people advice. And, you know, she yeah, seems she seems nice when she's not feeding teeth children. Yeah. She's very two faced. Very good at that. Um, so Daphne's like, what do I do? And she's like, obviously, you turn yourself in. And then she kills her. Right. So but that's like a weird cleaning up of loose ends, because if Mike isn't talking about what happened in the house and Gary doesn't want to get arrested, the only other people to say that something illegal happened are Tim and Daphne, and they're dead now. Right. So... Some loose ends were cleaned up. Um, now, onto those children. Uh, I don't think that we recognize any of them in particular. No. Yeah, so these I, four children... I, I think it's possible that maybe she's also a babysitter, in addition to being a school teacher. Maybe. That, or they just kind of come to her when they're in their hypnosis state. Yeah. Well, these four children, um, I believe the first time they sh- they show up uh, like in like a little montage that the kids of the town are watching a show. Yeah. Uh, and then they show up when Amy is out and some old lady is like, oh, God, there are these horrible murder children. And Amy sees children stabbing a body. And she's like, oh, shit. Holy shit. And she starts dashing towards them. And when she gets close, it's just like the fake it's anatomy like an anim- thing. anatomy mannequin. Which we definitely saw earlier in Mrs. Booth's lesson. Yes. Um... And they're stabbing it, and Amy is at first relieved, and he's like, oh god, that's super weird, but at least they're not actually murdering a person. Right, she's... So she's relieved at first, and then they're quiet and like whispering to each other, and they all break off in different directions. Yeah, and she's like, I know you. <laughs> yeah, so when... It's, it's weird that they do never mention that she like went to talk to their, her, their parents or whatever about like, hey, your kids were stabbing a mannequin. <laughs> yeah, I think she got distracted by the whole, like, Mike and also I'm acting sheriff thing. Yeah. Uh, because she, when she does go to Mike and Mike is like, it, the TV show is going to make children in this town act super weird. And she's like, hmm, I just saw children acting really weird. Yeah, but then she was like, I'm not going to let that cloud my judgment, which is a good... It is technically the right thing to do, not to give in to, like, the crazies fear-mongering around you. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, it's just in the horror stories, they're right. <laughs> All right, so. She doesn't know she's in a horror story. I mean, that's pretty much everything. We keep seeing, like, the tooth child show up all throughout this. Like, the tooth child goes to Katie in the hospital. The tooth child shows up, like, in nightmares. They, it shows up in multiple nightmares. Shows up in the window. Um, yeah, it's chilling in the house. Um, one thing I really liked about this show is you mentioned that there were no jump scares. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of moments. I was actually thinking, um, I I think was thinking like- Are you going to talk about special effects? Well, no. Um, I was thinking how I would direct a horror movie. And I think I would do the quote unquote jump scares exactly how this show does it. Because it's like, for the person who is getting scared, it is a jump scare. But for the audience, it is not. So we see a wide shot of like, Whatever of Mike's mom. No, we see a wide shot of like Mike's mom reading a letter. Mm-hmm. No, she's opening. She's looking at the child drawing. Right. And we see Mike come in in the background, <laughs> but she doesn't. And then she turns around and she gets scared. And I'm like, if this was shot by another director, it would be a jump scare, but it's not. And I yeah. really like that. Yeah. Or the shot where uh, uh, the, I think they were all dreams, but like the one where like Mike is passed out in his car and you see in the wide shot. The two child show that one freaked me out because yeah. you were talking about something and it seemed to me like you didn't notice it. <laughs> so that's what freaked me out. Right. Um, but yeah, the two child keeps showing up and he might also eat fingernails. 
it's, it's unclear. unclear because it seems like he's either in both Mike and Marla's dreams or he's in Marla's dreams eating Mike. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's possible. And uh, so, yeah, uh, at, at the end there, uh, Mike's daughter, Lily, who we've gotten like glimpses of in the first couple episodes, uh, is just there in the in town in oh, the third yeah. episode out of nowhere. Yeah, in the second episode, he's talking to her and she's like, mom told me not to call you because he just got out of the mental hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're but then she day. like, she goes into a weird state and says the thing that the that the ship laughingstock says, mm-hmm. which is you have to go inside. Yeah. And he says, what? And then she's like, anyway, I have to go. <laughs> Did we ever explain why Mike killed Eddie? Um, I guess not. So Mike, after he confesses to killing Eddie, mm-hmm. they're like, they're like, why did you kill? And then they're listing everyone. And he said, no, no, no. Eddie was killing everyone. I killed Eddie to stop him. Right. Because Eddie was the most changed. He started demonstrating those like Carrie psychic yeah, those, creepy like, kid powers. Little Stephen King creepy kid powers. Right. Very Stephen King. <laughs> um, yeah. This series feels very Stephen King. It does. And it's not even Castle Rock. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk about special effects. Special effects. So when we first saw the tooth monster, um, we saw it was kind of a wide shot. So we weren't sure whether or not it was CGI or practical. And then you see a zoom in on the hand, which was definitely a glove. Yeah. You see zoom ins on the face too. And then you see a zoom in on, in a, the next time you see the tooth monster, you see a zoom in on the face where it's, it doesn't have eyes. It has kind of like little concave bits where eyes would be. Yeah. And then it's got like an opening for the mouth, but it's all teeth. Yeah. And it's just like an incredibly well done suit. Oof. Yeah, because there's someone credited in the credits as being yeah, the tooth child. Uh, Cassandra something. She's She plays the tooth child. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was a name, but it was something like it. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> it was like Costellan or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, woof. They do a good job. Um, th- there might be some like special effects like enhancement going on, but it feels yeah. like there's something real going on because the only like special effects that like really jumped out at me is like oh that's a bad special effect mm-hmm. is when mrs booth uh, slits daphne's throat with a hook like well, it, it was, was like just... very blatantly like oh there's the cg blood spurting yeah i was gonna say it's whenever they have blood spurting it's always kind of a, a weird it's not like it wouldn't be that way mm-hmm. but it's always a weird it it feels like a campy choice yeah like <laughs> even if it's less realistic i'd rather that they do like the thing do like a do dribbling like, yeah or like they do like a little like pipe thing or something you mm-hmm. know how they do that yeah um but so that's why like when we first saw it and i wasn't sure whether or not it was cgi mm-hmm. i was like it can't be cgi this is sci-fi they don't have the budget for that and it wasn't yeah but in they... almost every case i prefer practical effects anyway this show is really good at using its budget yeah no the they do have a lot of like um I wouldn't say like bottle stuff, but because it takes place in a small town, mm. they only visit a few places. They make really good use out of what they create. Yeah, so they have like a, a good use of uh, setting. You think that the Tooth Child shows up so often because they were probably the most expensive thing? They were like, they were like, it took us so fucking long to make all these fake teeth and then to sew them to this fucking costume. You that are on screen and you are getting a close up. <laughs> I painted each of those teeth. Uh, that's just theory (laughs) Uh, this is a good show yeah i liked it i again there's definitely some weird bits to me as far Mm -hmm. as like how everyone acts and then the again the like psychosis thing which Mm -hmm. i 
am just always a little weird about when they use it. You have to be alert about it because it's so commonly misused. <laughs> right. Um, but as far as the mystery, like, I'm really interested in seeing where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, we're halfway through and we don't really know that much. Yeah. But we are gaining more information as we go. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's too slow paced. It feels like we're, uh, like, it feels like we're having revelations every episode, which yeah. is good for a six episode series. <laughs> so, uh, when I looked at the actors, they all showed up in interesting places. Like, so Mike Painter, our main character. Yes. Uh, can you guess what show that uh, we've seen him in? No. He, we've seen him in Parks and Rec. Oh, yeah, he's, um... Mark, Mark Brandanowitz, <laughs> that dude from season one and two, what a briefly. Really opposite of typecast. The opposite, very opposite. Opposite. Um, oh, gosh. Who was the the one you recognized? The one I recognized oh, oh, was... Oh, Petunia. Yeah, uh, his mom, Marla, was Aunt Petunia in the Harry Potter series. Yeah. She's definitely probably the most easily recognizable of all the actors and she's a really good actress she's a super good actress it's, i kept seeing like in in scenes i guess particularly with marla and mike i there were a lot of points where i kept saying to sean like i want more from mike because he's just supposed to be like tired mm-hmm. and i don't like that as an acting because he's just like we've got to we've got to stop the show or whatever. And mm-hmm. I want him to be like, I want him to, f- I want him to believe it. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like. You feel like you're not getting enough emotion out of him or. It feels like he's doing it because he has to, and not because he cares. I mean, which is, he's the main like possible. actor in this like horror story. Yeah. And I don't think that he, I think he is very dispassionate. I think he's, it's one of those things where it's like, like, I compared him earlier when we were watching to, like, an H.P. Lovecraft protagonist. Right, where they're like, just like, don't don't worry about it. it don't think about it too hard. So. But he's constantly, like, forcing himself forward and, like, dragging himself forward. Like, right. like we saw, like, with the message he carved into himself and now he's constantly getting these, like, messages and pulses. The, the power, probably because his twin brother mm-hmm. got so, like, deeply accepted by the show. Uh, the, this whatever dark power is behind this is like obsessed with Mike in particular and tormenting him yeah. and bringing him well, into the fold. So in the third episode, when Mrs. Booth kills Daphne, she says, don't fuck with Mike Painter. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, suddenly Mike is really important and we don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> but like, because he's Eddie's twin and Eddie was the Stephen King child. Yeah. Uh, is, the, is what seems like the straightforward reason to me. But um, yeah, if if the CG, if not the CGI, if the practical effects are the best thing about the show, the worst thing about the show is is the way Mike, just the way he feels. I don't mm. think maybe I don't think the actor is doing a bad job. I think maybe the director wanted him to be like, you don't want to do this, you have to do this. But that's not what I want. I think okay, so <laughs> I want him to be like, like when he when Katie's missing. I don't want him to be like, okay, I'm gonna walk into the woods with a knife now. I want him to be like, oh shit, like mm-hmm. I have to save this child. Yeah, but that that sort of panic is like a normal person reacting in a slasher situation. Mike is not already, a normal person. He's not a normal person. We've already seen the weird things happen to him. He may or may not have repressed those things. We're not sure, mm-hmm. but he he is very obviously been like a touched by the show and be like deeply traumatized by everything that's going like he is like walking through his trauma and he's constantly hallucinating that his brother is around <laughs> yeah and constantly living with like the guilt um, of having like killed him but, but again him. particularly next to marla's actor she does like really good with emotion mm-hmm. and and her actress is just really good 
Yeah. So this is definitely it's a personal a, like, preference, a, a, a matter of like opinion. You like might hate it, but Mike does walk around like a dead man. <laughs> and like to me that worked, but to you that didn't work. And I can see totally how that might just come across as like flat acting. Um, so yes, next up on our list. Um, so. Amy showed up in a surprising place in her credits. Yeah. The 100. The 100. Yeah, not anything that I watched, but... Who was she? She was Emery. The, the last person that I wanted to mention who um, showed up in an interesting place uh, was uh, Jessica, uh, Gary's wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, because she's in Dark Matter and iZombie. Oh, nice. And I know that you really like both of those shows. I so. do. I was surprised that uh, you didn't recognize most of the actors because I was really surprised in all the places where they popped up. Yeah, they all, all of the actors have had previous work as far as we can tell. I mean, yeah. not the kid actors, probably. Probably not. But. I mean, every... you never know. Some children are like really prolific. Yeah, um, true. Um, but I think Marla's actress was the best. Everyone else was really good. And Mike was a good actor, but I just didn't like his delivery. <laughs> so like, if you don't have a problem with stuff like like an H.P. Lovecraft uh, mm-hmm. protag, then you would probably... That's the only thing that bothered me in the whole show. Mm-hmm. Like, there was nothing else... Well, that and, again, the thing I keep saying. There's nothing else that I really disliked about it. I was just really surprised that he was Mark Brandanowitz because Mark Brandanowitz is kind of the worst. He's kind of... I, I can take him a lot more seriously in this show. Well, hopefully. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, beyond. So do you have a rating? Um, I mean, savory. Like, just spicy. Oh, interesting. Good. (laughs) This is a horror genre, and I'm giving it a savory rating. Yeah, the more impressive rate. It's because I I think he tried to do that. I think he tried to do that for Castle Rock too. It's because I don't like horror, but you made me watch these shows, and I I liked these shows, and I liked this show more than Castle Rock because uh, this show I was able to like engage with it more. Think I think yeah because the show is it's not shorter by a lot mm-hmm. but I guess shorter by four episodes when they're six and ten is kind of a lot mm-hmm. it's almost twice as long um, it has to have a faster pace mm-hmm. so I think it it might just be easier to follow as far as the mystery I prefer faster paced stuff that's true because um, the mystery in Castle Rock three episodes in we're like we still don't really know what's going on three episodes into this we're like oh shit like a lot of shit is going on like there are still mysteries to be solved but we know a lot about what's up yeah and in an and in a super sorry and in a supernatural situation like this like i mean there's no guarantee that by the end of the season we'll know all the mysteries anyways honestly even in an anthology format if you've solved every mystery at the end you failed as a horror writer (laughs) Because something, there has to be, because I think that's part of the the horror genre is the... You need to carry out of the experience something. Is, is the, like, something has to be unknowable. Because that is the scariest thing. Well, that's what H.P. Lovecraft says. Well, that's what I mean. Is like, in a lot of, in a lot of horror genres, um, the movie will end and they won't have solved every question. Mm-hmm. I, I was telling you about, I watched a movie, Happy Death Day, which is basically a horror Groundhog's Day. All of the questions were answered in that, right? We don't know why she was Groundhog's Daying. Oh, right. So just to... So they answered the big questions as far as, like, who was killing her and this and that. Yeah. But we don't answer the question of, like, why was this time loop happening? Like, what's going on? In order for the plot of the movie to happen, Kalina. <laughs> yes. That's the implied reason. But I mean, like, any good horror movie, 
will end on like we know the important mysteries Mm -hmm. but maybe the like the mysteries as far as like why the plot was happening in the first place like i think if we get to the end of the show and they don't tell you how the children see candle cove i think that would be on par Mm-hmm. yeah because like it's not like they're going it's to not exp- important yeah it's not like they're gonna be like oh and deep in the evil cave where the monsters are there's also a, a tv transmitter well, not that but like but like oh um the skin taker is real and he was like projecting into the kids minds like we don't need that that's not important mm-hmm. and leaving that unanswered i think is a good thing mm. <laughs> so i want to like know most of the mysteries but knowing all of the mysteries is i think bad in horror okay <laughs> you're right I think when it comes to horror, it's really effective. Um, like, there's this, like, short story anthology of, like, Japanese short stories. I think it was... Junji Ito? Yeah, I think it was illustrated by Junji Ito. Uh, and it was, like, an anthology series of, like, ghost stories that uh, from people, like, friends and acquaintances and stuff that he interviewed. Mm-hmm. And also, like, famous ones. Um, and they're all, like, three pages long these are like three page comic horror stories oh Junji ito does really good at the unanswered questions yeah so uh it's really impressed onto me that a lot of horror is about you walk away from the experience with something still sort of like nagging at you and that creates sort of like a low level sense of dread well and i think that's another reason why i like horror so much is are the questions Hmm. because so when we watch black mirror Mm mm-hmm Every single episode, we came away with, like, so much to talk about. Right. It was, you know, was this what the characters thought was happening or was something else happening? Mm. And the questions that are unanswered in the show are questions that you get to theorize about. And I really like theorizing Mm. as seen by every time a new Death Stranding trailer comes out. (laughs) Do you like uh, (laughs) having come up with answers or do you just like the conversation? Do you like engaging with it intellectually? Because yeah, I think that's what I think that's a commonality amongst shows and in general things that you like is that you love to engage with them intellectually. Mm -hmm. And, And, uh, And I think when they leave some answers, some questions unanswered, it leaves a lot of space to put your own spin on it, to put kind of a, a fanfic spin on mm. it, even just like, <laughs> like, like the dude in the show who made his weird fanfic oh, yeah, candle that was, cove. That was funny. Um, but it's like, if, if you don't have all the answers, then you can put in the answers that you want. <laughs> and that's kind of nice too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's nice to leave things open. And although for some people, it's very frustrating to not have the answers. Yes. Some people, be they like, be they casual enjoyers who just come away from the it unsatisfied, or if they are theorists who like to take the route of, I have the answer. I right. have figured it out. I've solved the puzzle of what yeah. this is. They, they, they engage with it very differently. I think that's not engaging with it intellectually. I think that is an emotional engagement. With I the agree. media that that some people, not that all people who engage with media emotionally are going to be frustrated by questions. Some people are going to be very satisfied with that. But some people, when they engage with it emotionally, they come out of it with frustration. No, I I went to see Shutter Island when it came out in mm-hmm. the theaters. And I went with some friends. And we came out of the theater. And I was like, I love this movie. Like, it was really interesting. I thought it was really cool. I like unreliable narrator stuff. And we come out and my friends were like, so mad. They were like, what happens? Like, was he crazy? Was he not? I don't understand. Like, I want to know. And I was like, that's the point. You're not supposed to know. And they were like, I want to know. 
<laughs> yeah, for some people, that, that lack of closure is extremely frustrating, and they come they, away from the experience unhappy. It can be done in a way that frustrates everybody. Yeah. But done right, it only frustrates some people. <laughs> I think a, a story that that inspires wanting to like play with it and adapt it, I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think that fan works and stuff are like really good. Uh, they're a really good thing to happen. They're a really good part of like um, creating fans who then go on to create the next cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's another part of engaging with yeah material in a way that's that's not necessarily closed ended. Yeah, and there's so many like authors or the corporations that form around them that are like so defensive with their intellectual property mm-hmm. that it's like frustrating. Yeah, I agree. That it's uh it's nice when there are cool dudes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um you can find us at TV Dinner on Facebook and TVD Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at TVDpodcast at gmail.com. Um, let us know if there's anything you want us to watch. We're done with the double month, double feature. Yeah. Um, so we so finally get to slow down. Sorry. We're going, I had a lot of fun doing weekly episodes again. Yeah. It's a weird, it's weirdly nostalgic because when we started doing this podcast, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to slow back down. It's nice to watch a lot of shows. Yes. But uh. then... If we want to finish all those shows, we need more time. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to take these next two weeks to finish Channel Zero and Castle Rock. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but we will. October's get... over, but you get to make me watch more horror, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, we get to in in two weeks. We have a guest episode mm-hmm. with um, James from. A lot of stuff. A lot of podcasts. Um, the from Kids one, on Bikes, from... From Kids on Bikes, from Blink and You'll Miss It, from Unabashedly Obsessed. Um, he's done a lot of stuff. So I'm really excited. We recorded that episode like a month and a half ago. So yeah. I'm really excited to finally post it. It's a good episode. Yeah, we watched The Sopranos. And yeah, this, that's another good episode like this one where we talk for a long time. Yeah, we talked for way too long here. But um, really, tune into that. It's going to be great. Bye! Bye.